today on It's Time. It's that the Holy Spirit is for those who ask. It's not a reward for being a great Christian. I hear the calling. It's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So follow along as we join Pastor Mike. Jesus looks at Peter and says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven. So, which tells me, if you know who Jesus is, if you know who the Trinity is, that is supernaturally uh, instilled in us by the Holy Spirit. That's not something that we normally can figure out. That's something that God does supernaturally. Okay, Peter got a shiny star on that one. Good. Just a little bit later in the chapter, Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem. I must die. And Peter said, you don't got to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to die. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Eh, Wrong answer. You say, why am I saying that? Because sometimes people that follow Jesus do goofy things. Now they'll help you. Some well, I thought they were a Christian and they're doing that. <laughs> well, I just can't have anything to do with them. Oh, really? What about your sin? I, I've seen that. It's so amazing that people are so blind to their own sins and they'll they'll strain it and out, as Jesus said, and swallow a camel. It's amazing. You think about it. You, you go, how does this work? Well, if they were really a Christian, they wouldn't act like that. Oh, yeah? What about Peter? What about Simon? What about the others in the Bible that we find that oftentimes we elevate to a place of sinlessness, and yet when we study their lives, we find that they sin just like you and me do? Somebody said one time, they said, well, I'm sure glad I don't sin like you do. No, but you sin like you do. That's the problem. That's why Jesus told us when we see somebody overtaken in a fault, we we go to them privately. Now, I'll tell you something that's really embarrassing. If you ever go to somebody overtaken in a fault and you say, brother, I got to tell you about, about, you know, this money deal you're doing right now. It's not very good. It's not very Christian. And then that person looks at you and says, well, you need to move out from living with your girlfriend. What's that? See, this is the problem. Somebody else's sin always looks worse than our own. And so when we look at Simon and we see his goofiness here, well, he wasn't really a Christian. I'm really amazed. Check this out. Go, don't take my word for it. Go look at it on your own. Get some commentaries. Well, he really wasn't a Christian at this. Well, what we have here is a failure to communicate. 
They say, well, he wasn't really a Christian. Well, it says he was. It says he also believed and was baptized. Now, when the apostles, and by the way, and he followed Philip around as a disciple, okay? You get that, okay? Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, for as yet he had not fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You say, why is this important? This is a very foundational, doctrinal verse in the Bible. If it's, not, if it's not circled in your Bible, it should be. You say, why is that? Because there's many people that believe that when you become born again, you are immediately filled with the Spirit. Now, we do have some instances in the Bible where that happened. Right in the middle of Peter's sermon, we find when he was preaching to the Gentiles, that happened. But that was a rarity. Generally speaking, it's a second work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the reason why. Jesus told them, go to the upper room and wait. The Holy Spirit will come to you. Fifty days after Passover, or maybe I should say, uh, yeah, Passover, which which is then Pentecost morning, first fruits. Well, some people call it first fruits, but 50 days after Pentecost. They were all believers. They were all in the upper room. They were all being obedient to what Jesus said. They all were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. They all had put their faith and hope in him. What's important here is they were obedient. The Bible says they waited in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Second work of the Holy Spirit. Now, here we find the same thing. Now, uh, we're going to find this several times through the book of Acts. So uh, we'll, we'll cover it again when we come across it. Uh, just if for those that... Um, uh, one of the places that we find where Paul was converted to Christianity... Uh, who art thou, Lord, when, when he fell to the ground? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. The Bible says he was led by the hand to Damascus, the very place he was going to go to persecute Christians. Well, he, he goes to Damascus, and when he gets there, the Bible tells us that they prayed for him at that time to receive the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says something like scales fell off his eyes. It doesn't, and no mention of tongues at all in that particular place. But it was that something like scales fell off his eyes. Now, he was already a believer when he came up off that ground. And he was headed for Damascus. So you have a born-again Saul, name turned to Paul, on his way to Damascus, where there he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, why is this important? The church that I had come out of believed that there were no infilling of the Holy Spirit. They believed you got everything when you became born again. And what happened with me is that though I believed in Christ, there was no power in my life. I, I had no dudamos, you might say. That word for power uh, and that word for dudamos is where we get the word dynamo, which is the word for generator. Not dynamite that goes bang and it's all over. It's, it, God keeps going in you. You know, the Energizer Bunny thing, you know. That's what God does. So in understanding that, we find it here. We find it in Paul's life. We find it in chapter 19 
You might want to write that down. We won't have time to get into it tonight. But Paul actually writes and says, since you have believed, have you been filled with the Spirit? And they said, what's the Holy Spirit? And he says, well, then how are you baptized? Because the Great Commission was baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you would have said, what is your going to the water? Who's Holy Spirit? <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, okay. That, you know. And they said, John's baptism only. Then he shared with them faith and they believed. Well, anyway, the point simply is, here's a good place to prove that you can be born again, but not be spirit-filled. I'm amazed how many commentaries cannot take God's word simply for what it says. I'm just, I'm just amazed by that. Not based upon solely upon this verse, but upon other verses. Again, chapter 19 of Acts. Saul's conversion a few days later being filled with the Spirit. There's another illustration. Acts chapter 2, they were all believers in Christ, but they were not filled with the Spirit. All the way through. That's why the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. You say, well, how are you filled with the Spirit? The Bible calls it the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's a gift? Gift means simply God giving it to you because he loves you. How do we receive a gift? You take it. That's, that's all there is to it. The gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What did I do? What did you do to earn eternal life? Nothing. It was a gift. If I would have done something to get eternal life, that would have been wages. Because I earned it. Now, if the gift of salvation is simply by believing, the gift of the Holy Spirit is by believing as well. So if you're not spirit-filled tonight, you say, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And then look for the power of God. The Bible says, Jesus said, you being evil know how to give your children good gifts. How much more will the Holy Spirit, will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? There was a song we used to sing in church years ago. Um, the Lord and I, the Lord and I, we got so close, we got so close. The Lord and I, the Lord and I got so close. Lord and I, we got so close. He filled me up with the Holy Ghost. All my sins are washed away. I've been renewed. It's a cute song. That part of the song is not really scriptural. It's not that I got so close to God that he filled me up with the Holy Ghost. It's that the Holy Spirit is for those who ask. It's not a reward for being a great Christian. It's simply by asking, God, give me your spirit. I need power. I need love. And what's the greatest demonstration of the gifts of the spirit in a person's life? Well, if you're in a Pentecostal circle, they'll tell you unless you speak in tongues, you're not spirit filled. But that ain't what the Bible says. Corinthians chapter 12, the last couple of verses very clearly teach that there's a lot of different gifts of the spirit. And if you don't speak in tongues, God's got one or the other one for you. But the principal one to look for is love. Chapter 13, 1 Corinthians. The second thing you want to look for is boldness in your life. Because as the Holy Spirit came in to Peter's life, who was embarrassed to tell a little slave girl, if you study the Gospels, a little slave girl that he was one of Jesus' disciples as Jesus is in the courtyard being interrogated. Now we find in Acts chapter 2, he stands up and tells everybody, these guys aren't drunk with wine as you think, but they're filled with the Spirit. What a difference. What happened? The Holy Spirit. So if you lack power in your life, you pray and say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit, because that's what I need. That's going to make the big change. So, he tells us here that 
Verse 16, for yet he had not fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Two things. First, they were saved. Second, they were baptized. Third, they were not filled with the Holy Spirit at this point. Verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible says we can ask for the Holy Spirit. The apostles laid hand on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I've seen it happen both ways. You say, why is that? Because I believe the laying on of hands is a point of contact. Now, when the Bible talks about laying on of hands to send somebody out from a church as a minister, that's a different thing. But the laying on of hands for receiving the Holy Spirit, uh, from what we can tell in the scripture, is a point of contact. Because when Peter was preaching to the Gentiles, a few more chapters up, the Bible tells us that that, um, uh, right in the middle of his sermon... (laughs) <laughs> he's preaching all these Gentiles and homes when start praying in tongues. You interrupted my sermon. God can do that. God can interrupt himself. And right in the middle of Peter's sermon, these guys began to preach, or they began to speak with other tongues. And they were all filled with the Spirit. So they had to have been nodding, yes, we agree. Jesus is doing it. Boom, wow, all of a sudden God just gave. There's a great illustration where they did receive the Holy Spirit at the same time they believe. I'm not saying it can't happen. It can. But generally speaking, from what we can tell in Scripture, three to one, if you want to look at the verses, or even more than that, four to one, generally speaking, it's a second work of the Holy Spirit. Just like the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they passed through the Red Sea, which is a type of baptism from the life of Pharaoh in bondage. They wandered in the wilderness. They went through the Jordan River, which is a type of baptism. It's funny that the Bible talks about uh, repent and be baptized. And so baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. They come up out of the water. They're a new person in Christ. Now, actually, it's in faith. It just formalizes what you've already determined in your heart. Then you went, they went through the Jordan River. And they were, you might say, the water heaped up on both sides. Again, they walked across on dry land. That's a type of being filled with the Spirit as they went then into the promised land. By the way, there were obstacles in the promised land, but God was with them to help them overcome if they would just simply use that faith in Him. So, he says, Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands... The apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money. This is a great trick. How do you do this? Here's the money. Very common for magicians for an amount of money to sell their secrets. If that was the case, that was what he was doing. It may very well have been a bribe as well. We don't know. But the next verse is an incredible verse. It's very much modified in English. I'll read it both ways. It may offend some of you. Okay. Now, when Simon saw the laying on of hands, he offered uh, them money, saying, Give me the power also that anyone who I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Here's a couple of things wrong. First of all, what did he say? Anyone I lay my hands on. It ain't for anyone. The Holy Spirit is not for anyone. The Holy Spirit is for believers. That's an exclusive right, you as a child of God, to be empowered by His Spirit. 
So Simon here showed his ignorance concerning spiritual things. The second thing, notice what Peter says. Peter said to him, your money perishes with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Isn't it great to know that the things of God are not hinged upon man's invention of money? It's simply by asking. Now, if you were to read this in a unpalatable wording, this is the way it would read. So Peter said to him, you and your money can go to hell. Whoa. That's uh, J.B. Phillips uh, translates it that way, by the way. Very strong words. Who said this, by the way? Peter did. Meek and mild, weak Peter that wouldn't stand up to a slave girl now comes out in a dynamic way, as he did in Acts chapter 2. Now he comes out and says, says, you and your money perishes with you. You don't have it. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now, let's reread this, okay, because it's important. He says, you have neither part nor portion, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. That's not what it says, is it? Do you catch that? If you like to underline things in your Bible, underline this. In this matter. You catch that? In this matter. It's different. You see, he didn't say this. You have neither part nor portion in this, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. He said, in this matter, it's not right. Which tells me, a born-again believer who's been baptized, who follows Philip around as a disciple can get things wrong. Now you say, why is that important? Because saints, sometimes we tend to judge people in their Christian faith when they're struggling sometimes in trying to figure it out. And sometimes it isn't until they say something that it's revealed. Peter, with very strong words here, and I believe that this is simply a great demonstration. If you you like to make more notes in your Bible, mine's all marked up, but that's, uh, what is this? (laughs) word Word of knowledge. He knew that something was not right in his heart. It tells me it's possible for people who love God who have been baptized, who are followers of Christ, and even people that have somebody that they attach themselves to, not to have it right. And Peter articulately says this to him. Verse 22, what is the solution? Gone and lost forever, dreadful sorry, Clementine. Doesn't say that. Repent. If there's something that's not right in an individual's life, though they've been baptized, though, though they believe and they're baptized and they, and they have a, a pastor or a, a Philip in their life, if there's something not right, repent. Therefore, of your wickedness, and pray that if perhaps the thought of your heart 
may be forgiven you. I believe, again, this is is rooted uh, going back into a more depth uh, thing that this is was probably deep within him. He was born again. He is baptized. He had Philip. And here the whole town at one time followed Simon around as he was somebody. Now nobody's listening to him anymore. Now they're listening to Philip. They have a real demonstration of the power of God. And so deep down inside of him, he's jealous or something, envious. For I see that you're poisoned by bitterness in the bond of iniquity. Verse uh, 23. He tells him there's something wrong. See, it is possible for Christians to have things within them that aren't right. He didn't say you need to believe in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. No, you have an area in your life that isn't right and you need to get that right. And it's very serious because its roots are in bitterness. What would the bitterness be over? That Philip could do things he couldn't do. But you serve God, those things will eventually happen. Then Simon answered and said... And I love this, what Simon says. This shows to me that Simon, in fact, was a believer. He said, pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. You see, literally, praying with him. I think the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge are two pretty dynamic gifts that finger a person's sin into the dynamics that there was no escaping it. And, and Simon knew he was busted. And because of that, he said, pray. I, I like that. And he said, pray for me. Friends, I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for brothers and sisters in the Lord that have issues in their life. And I think this is so important. Verse 25. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And, and this actually fulfills Acts 1.8. First Jerusalem, then Samaria. First Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Uh, it, 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 we find exactly the Holy Spirit leading them to do what God had called them to do. So, is it possible for people that love God to do dumb things? Yes, it is. Whether it was Jesus' disciples, or whether it what we might say Philip's disciples, or people in church, the solution is repent. And pray for each other that we would be and do what God's called us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. We ask you tonight, God, that you would cause us to remember these things. And Father, that when we see someone struggle, that we help them. And sometimes God using love and kindness and sometimes being very stern and warning because of the sin that they're in. And so, Father, we just ask you that your Holy Spirit would do a brand new work in all of us and change us and cause us, God, to see you in your glory and all the things that you do in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store. 
or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.